What's going on, everybody? Have you ever found yourself falling into the trap of saying, if only? I firmly believe that in life, when it comes to reaching our full potential, our biggest obstacle and our toughest opponent is ourselves. I mean, think about it. We can single-handedly be our own worst critic. And if we're not careful, we can fall into the trap of comparing our situation to others and say, if only. Or we can pick ourselves apart by lying and saying things like, we're not good enough, or we don't have what it takes. So how do we stay out of this trap and find a way to reach self-acceptance, which in turn will allow us to reach our full potential? Kevin Atlas has a thing or two to say on the subject. I was 6'4", going into 7th grade. A giant creature. Shaggy red hair, one arm. I was, I was a sight for sore eyes. And uh, I tried out for the team, and the coach cut me. He told me that basketball is a two-arm sport and to try something else. I didn't have direction. I didn't believe in myself. But I am a strong believer that it just takes one leader, one mentor, coach, teacher to step up and, and just change your life, to ignite a spark. Hey, I got a six-foot-nine kid, red-haired kid, ball of joy, would love to play basketball. He was going to play for his other team, but they said he wasn't good enough. So I'm like, you know, six-foot-nine kid, I'll take him, and I don't care what his skill level was. I didn't want to be a product of my circumstance. Now he didn't have to. That's the first step. Every single one of you guys has a nub in your own way. It sounds insane, but you do. You have to learn to accept and embrace yourself. You have to learn to believe in you. If you do, everybody else will fall in line. Choose to let his challenge or the naysayers affect his mindset. Instead, he found the all-powerful weapon of self-acceptance. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of self-acceptance, why we should strive to live outside of our comfort zones, and turning a weakness into a strength. I'm Anthony Robles. And welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. What does unstoppable mean to you? Unstoppable is just a, is just a mindset and a way of life. I think it's just uh, not being, being afraid to fail. Relentless. I can accomplish anything I want to accomplish when I set my priorities right, when I walk with God, and when, again, I, I live with that mindset, being the best that I can be, at every moment. I think there's nothing more powerful on earth than the human will. Anthony Robles has shown us that impossible is nothing. Anthony Robles is a national champion. You're listening to the Unstoppable Podcast with Anthony Robles, brought to you by Safe Streets. Please welcome today's special guest, Kevin Atlas. Hey everyone, before we start this episode, I'd like to take a moment to recognize our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Safe Streets, the leader in smart home security and automation, an ADT authorized provider. Our smart security pros will help you evaluate your home security and automation needs to protect your home and everything you value most. Get a free quote today. Call 844-980-SAFE. That's 844-980-7233. All right, Kevin, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good, my man. Doing very good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my pleasure, bro. It's great to catch up with you. And it's been a lot of years since we last talked and you're out here in Arizona and we got to hang out, man. So thank you for uh, taking the time. It's good to see you. 
For sure, man. Blessing to be on. And uh, honestly, always great to see your face. You're just uh, such an incredible individual. So definitely thank you, man. Appreciate you. Uh, my pleasure, man. You're, you're someone who who inspires me, and I've always considered you a friend. And you know, it's just amazing to see how how far your career has taken you. And I would definitely want to jump into that. But I mean, I want to start from the beginning, man. I, I know you and I, we we have some differences. I'm five nine. You're what seven foot? Yeah, six eleven. <laughs> <laughs> six eleven. So you know, we're a little different in that realm. But I know we're very similar in a lot of ways. And uh, one of the ways that we are similar is that we were born with a challenge. So. Uh, would you mind just telling a little bit about, you know, the challenges you had to face, man, from day one? Yeah, I was uh, born with my umbilical cord wrapped around my neck and uh, my arm got caught in between my neck and my umbilical cord. So essentially the umbilical cord uh, took my arm off but saved my neck, saved my life, which is a blessing in disguise. I'm supposed to be born uh, left-handed though. God's got jokes, but uh, I'm, I'm essentially, you know, an amputee from six inches below the left elbow and I call it my uh, so I'm just this giant one-handed dude. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I know for me, like the doctors were telling my mom, like all the things I couldn't do, you know, and just basically kind of putting the negative thoughts in her head immediately from the beginning. So I'm just curious, like, how did, how did your family, how did they approach this situation? Were they, they kind of like more sheltering? Were they like, no, he has to figure this out on his own? Like, how did your, your family approach things? Very similarly, uh, I had a, just an awesome, very strong, loving mother, uh, you know, very religious and Christian and mm. was born on April 13th and Philippians 4, 13, I can do all mm. things Christ who strengthens me. So she instilled that at a young age. She was definitely uh, a woman who coddled me and loved me in a way that was encouraging, uh, you know, facing that, that rough, broken childhood of a divorced family. And, and my dad, you know, got melanoma and passed away uh, when I was 10. It was, it was, there was obviously a lot of adversity. Uh, that said, I think that I'm super blessed, and I know you are as well, just with that really awesome, strong mother presence who um, instilled these values and this mentality or stubbornness, if you will, because I know you have it too. <laughs> you, you are capable of, of uh, you know, accomplishing whatever type of goal or dream uh, that you set out to do. Yeah, man. And so many things you said right there that really stuck out to me. And I mean, faith, number one, and the, the Bible verse that you shared, Philippians 4.13, that's actually one of my, my all-time favorites right there. So, For sure. you know, and, and just, you know, having that strong uh, mother, you know, presence in your life. I mean, that's something that I, I heavily relied on my mom's, my, my anchor, you know, just growing up and because it, it's hard, you know, it's like you, you, you're, as a kid, you start to realize that you're different and you don't understand it. And so just to have someone who can, you can really just look to and say, Hey, you know, I don't get this, but they, they don't really have, you know, a, I guess, a scientific answer for you. But, you know, they give you that answer. Hey, you have to have faith. Right. And you have to be stubborn. Like you said, I love that. The stubbornness is the key. For sure. For sure. And, and I think that self-belief is uh, is empathetical and really can connect to everybody. I mean, whether you have that nub, I have ADHD and was, you know, diagnosed with dyslexia and all that stuff as well. So I think that there's different quirks that individuals have. And, and I feel like, you know, I'm going to be a little hard on doctors here. Just having that, you know, uh, uh, there's something wrong with you and, and, and they're trying to fix problems. But if your mentality isn't that there, you know, is something wrong with you and you can fully uh, embrace that self-love and, and really accept yourself. I think that's what a lot of people, especially American youth, really suffers from is self-love uh, and the lack of positive affirmations and, and acceptance uh, that you create this mindset that just makes you so much happier in life. It kind of releases you from the stress and the anxieties of things out of your control and really helps you refocus on things that are in your control uh, and, and what you can do with the blessings that you have. I'm a strong believer. There's seven and a half billion people on this planet. 
and there's one you. So you are a piece of art and you should never have to apologize for that. So you, as myself, like grew up like, dude, there's something wrong with me. Everyone wants to fit in and they're afraid of being judged. And you have all these insecurities and sensitivities. Uh, but the sooner you can just like look in the mirror and love yourself right back, I feel like that is the biggest turning point for you in life. And, and I think that my mom just really constantly was in my ear about that. And I didn't get it growing up. And then once it clicks, it really, really sets in and clicks. So I think that, you know, just reinforces the ability that you can have on somebody else with that repetition and that belief. I mean, she was my first believer even before I believed in myself. And, and I'm very blessed with her. Man, that, that's awesome. I, I love how you said just that self-acceptance and self-love. And that is the key thing. I mean, especially it's so hard these days, you know, with, with social media, you're always looking and people are like, oh, I wish I had that life or I wish I looked that way. And it's like, no, you know, you, you have to be embrace your uniqueness, you know, embrace that those those God given traits that no one else has, like you said, right, you you are a piece of art. And, and, and I like how you said, you know, once you accept that, then you can really start to kind of own in on those strengths, right, can kind of hone in and just really say, okay, you know what, these are, this is what I'm capable of and build on that because, I mean, it's not about what you don't have, right? It's not about what you wish you had. It's about what you have and how you can build on that and really just make your dreams a reality based on the good tools that you have. That's the truth. And, and let me ask you this, Anthony, because, yeah. you know, for, for, for me, it's like, if, if you can't accept yourself, if you can't love yourself, who in the hell can really like love you? You're really not opening the door for that, you know, connection. If you're, if you, you can't accept yourself, how are you supposed to be a leader? How are people supposed to follow you? If you can't embrace yourself, then you won't really have that confidence. And I think sports, a very large portion of sports is confidence-based. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you, you know, being in a similar situation to fully embrace yourself? Like to, to honestly just say like, dude, because like if you give me a left-handed A, I wouldn't take it. I love this nut, man. Mm -hmm. I, and, and when I was weird about it, people were weird about it too. Like mm -hmm. yeah, like all creeped out trying to hide it all sensitive and you know it's like dude i can't clap get off like do the ymca in class i'm like does this look like an a bro like I, you know i just i hated the thing um and and then i just started to embrace it and joke about it and not in like a, a morbid way but my embracing of it allowed other people to do the same and 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 then i saw a difference of how i was projecting energy and vibes to the people around me and that was affecting them so how long did it take you to just fully like accept and embrace yourself? Honestly, man, I'd say weirdly enough, like after my freshman year of high school. And the reason for that is, you know, yeah, I mean, I got into wrestling and uh, obviously, you know, like you said, athletics, you have to have that confidence, right? And wrestling, especially because you're out there one-on-one -on -one, you're with your opponent. There's no more you can kind of hide. They can't sub you in or out. It's just you. Yeah. If you, if you're getting your butt kicked, then you're, you're getting your butt kicked until the end. And uh, you know, being out there in front of everybody, really just putting my missing leg on display, um, I was kind of forced to develop that, that confidence in myself. You know, after that first year of losing so many times, finishing last place, I, I remember just sitting in my room and was like, you know what? I don't care anymore. You know, I don't care what people think. I don't care how they look at me. I'm going to do the best of what I have. My goal is to be the state champion. I want to be the best wrestler. And, and I, don't, I don't care what that takes. And, and so that's the moment where I really just stopped paying attention to other people and, you know, the way they looked at me. And you're right. You know, once I started to embrace it and, and, you know, people were less weird, they'd ask me questions like what happened to your leg or, you know, going to the grocery store. Sometimes I'll be in the aisles, right. I'll be checking out. And the, the person behind the, 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 the counter, they'll be like, Oh, you know, what happened? Not knowing that I missed him. I like thinking, Oh, he broke his ankle or, you know, something like that. He's in a cast. 
And I was like, oh, you know, I was born missing my leg. I don't really like using a prosthetic. And, and I'll just kind of talk to them about it. And their eyes get wide. They're like, oh, wow. You know, and it's one of those things. It's like, if you're comfortable, like you said, they get comfortable, right? They open yeah. up more. And uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be that thing that uh, uh, just makes you shy away from everybody, you know, shying away from those interactions. And uh, I only wish I would have learned that earlier, you know, before my freshman year. But I'm very grateful that I learned it, you know, better late than never, right? Because I think some people just go through their entire lives, just, just kind of hiding themselves, you know, being afraid yeah. to really put themselves out there. Yeah. And, and maybe we were forced, you know, having our quote unquote disabilities. I don't really look at it like that, but like we, we were forced to address it because people can, you know, hide their insecurities, mm-hmm. hide ours. And so maybe we, we, we were forced uh, to live out of our comfort zone until we grew enough uh, internally to be able to embrace ourselves. And I think that there's such a strong, power and honestly didn't you know really fully accept myself till I was about 22 so I shut up for the seventh grade basketball team right and dude I I hated growing up man I was so tall I was 5'10 in fifth grade I was 6'4 in seventh grade I had shaggy hair I had one arm flopping around I looked like Ronald McDonald uh <laughs> chicken nugget shy away from a full happy meal too I wasn't the best academically I just wasn't a kid that really fit in and uh basketball became my spot I mean it became my niche where I could, you know, thrive. Uh, but it, it all came from this coach who really changed my mentality, my perspective of of looking at myself. And, and so basketball became a place where I did felt like I was valued and, and comfortable. And that's why it became my goal and dream. By my senior year of high school, uh, you know, I got a call from the White House and President George W. Bush flew out on Air Force One to meet me at the wow. airport, which was super cool for an 18-year-old because I didn't make my seventh grade basketball team. The coach he had one arm and to try something else. It was a two-arm sport to, you know, a few years later, I'm, I'm ranked in the state of California, you know, top 100 players. I'm getting recruited, you know, uh, Notre Dame, St. Mary's, San Francisco, uh, Pepperdine, and, and, and I'm playing ball with one arm, and the president of the United States is flying out to, to meet me. And, and that's a huge difference, I think, just reinforcing what my mother always told me, like, you make a believer out of yourself first, and then mm-hmm. the will become believers. And, and then I became living proof of, of, of that. Uh, it took me a long time for those seeds to really resonate, but you know, it's the same with you, man. You, you, I remember, uh, you almost quit wrestling at a point. I mean, you were so discouraged and so many different things going on in college, you stuck with it. And I, and I just believe that having a strong presence, whether it be a mother, a parent, somebody that like unconditionally loves you or find a mentor. If you don't have that, find somebody who can truthfully just stand by your side at your worst and push you to, to stick through because you're a champion because you, you hung in there and you stuck through. And I think that your mom probably had a lot to do with that is in the time where I wanted to quit. My mom pushed me in the same way. Yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, what I say is uh, the voices in the crowd, you know, you need to have those voices in the crowd cheering for you while you're out there having to compete on your own, you know? And, and sure. uh, I mean, I, I really believe that, I mean, no one does it alone. You know, there was someone along the way that, you know, more than some one person, but along the way, they just did some random act of kindness for me. You know, they took the time to help me out. It took the time to give me some simple word of encouragement, whether it was my teacher or whether it was a coach, something. And I, I mean, especially in the, the world we're living in right now, there's too much uh, just, just anger and, and, you know, just picking apart for, for being different. It's like, no, we have to embrace the uniqueness and, you know, just look for those opportunities just to be kind to one another, you know, just sure. one little thing changes somebody's day. And uh, I mean, sure. I mean, just looking back, man, I mean, I, I know you said, uh, you know, seventh grade, you 
you, you didn't make the basketball team. So, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about that, but first, you know, like how initially did you get introduced to basketball? How did you decide to actually participate? Because I mean, that alone, that's a lot of courage right there because it's like, you know, for me going out there with, with a missing leg on a wrestling mat, people, you know, they zero in. And I know that you know, with basketball, I mean, they're zeroing in on you. So how did you develop that courage just to be like, Oh, you know what? I don't care. I'm just going out there because I want to go out there and compete. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, honestly, I grew up a diehard Raiders fan. I was all, <laughs> I know you are too, man. So yes, sir. I just, uh, I, my dad took me to games, uh, you know, every time well, we can afford it. I mean, we're in the nosebleeds, but he was buried in his favorite Raider t-shirt. I was, such a Raider fan uh, that all I cared about was football. I never went to a single NBA game. I never knew. I didn't know a thing about basketball. Never played in recess even. And so uh, it was really just height induced. Like my dad was 6'9", and I was so tall as a middle schooler. It's like, how can you not play basketball? So my mom pushed me into it. Hmm. And I went to Pleasanton Middle School. Uh, it was called PMS, really. Uh, colors were red, and our mascot was a panther. So I'll let you put that one together. They didn't that one but, <laughs> I went to this school and, and this coach, yeah, he, he took out the six, four, seventh grader. I don't care if you have no arms, you're putting a six, four, seventh grader on the basketball team, but he, he just decided to discourage me from the start. Just like, just don't waste your time. Try something else. It's a two-handed sport, which it was. And, and, and to be transparent with you, Anthony, like the only other person I really knew with one arm in the world was captain hook and Disney made him into a bad guy. Hmm. So I think there was just this, this placement, uh, philosophy or uh you know psychology behind i just didn't really feel ever accepted i mean even in my home church in some points i mean i just i never felt like i fit in and i felt like i made everyone uncomfortable everywhere i went like you walk in a grocery store the little kids like mom why's he got one arm and then the mom gets all weird i just felt this walking orb of of like disappointment so going back and telling my mom that i got cut from the team was uh was it you know hard for me to do but uh, when God opened, uh, closes the door, opens a window. So this coach in a neighboring town, get this, man. He, he changed my life, and he was one of my greatest mentors. He, he ran an AAU program. They were nationally ranked. So all the San Francisco, like, MVPs from all the best teams, right, from high school teams, put together this travel club offseason team, this AAU team. These 17, 18-year-olds. There wasn't, like, even a sophomore on the team. They were, like, college-bound D1 athletes. A lot of them were already signed. And this coach heard about this one arm seventh grader never played basketball, had me come try out for the team. Um, and, and I showed up. We didn't know whatever was in his heart. He, he got a hold of us. He found out about me and we showed up. And these guys are just like really good. Like 6'4 wasn't even that tall to them. Hmm. They were athletic and they were skilled and they've been playing ball their whole life. So I get on the court and they start dunking on me during scrimmage. Like a dude windmill dunked over the, me, this guy Marquise, and, and coach stopped the practice. He walked up to me and he's like, Kevin, when you play basketball, why don't you use that arm? And I looked at him and I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, that arm, why don't you use it when you play? And Anthony, this thing, man, it's, um, I know that you, you're, you're nub too, man. Your leg is probably super strong. That leverage effect of being closer to your body mm-hmm. for extension and stubs and nubs in wrestling. Um, so, so for me in basketball, this thing's a sharp spike. It is a shame. Mm-hmm opportunity of meeting uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and he asked me how to play D1 how to go pro I nubbed him as hard as I could in the ribs and he cussed I'm not going to repeat that on here but he's so many cuss words he's got the hook shots got nothing on that mother effing thing um you keep it up but it, it, it's so powerful and I've broken rib cages and noses and all this stuff I post up on the block and I give these people a little nub in the rib cage and the ref can't see it he gets all <laughs> gets ticked off tries to fight me the rest like why are you trying to fight the one arm guy what's wrong with you? It's <laughs> ass, man. It's out there nubbing people 
Um, but what he did is he made me the world's dirtiest basketball player. There's nothing in the rule book against nubbing anyone. But but so like we're we're playing, we're scrimmaging, right? And he's just nubbing him. He teaches me how to nub him. So the same kid Marquise tries to dunk on me, and I just go whoop and blop him in the, the nuts. He tries to dunk on top of me over me, and I just nub him right in the crotch. I'm oh, man. Rolling, crying. And he's like, it's not fair, coach. And listen to that. He said, it's not fair, coach. Best player on that team wasn't saying that it wasn't fair for me that I was playing with one arm. He said it wasn't, it wasn't fair for him that <laughs> I was playing for one arm. And that was the moment that really just triggered something in my brain realizing that I had everything I needed to be successful walking in that gym. I just didn't realize. And that perspective paradigm shift that this coach had had given me uh, was that opening of the door of of, of that self-love and self-acceptance and believing like, dude, he made my greatest weakness, my greatest strength. And once again, if you can't love yourself, how's anyone supposed to love you? If you can't accept yourself, how are you supposed to be a leader? If you can't embrace who you are, I mean, I didn't choose this arm. I didn't choose that my dad passed away or my mom passed away before their time. I didn't choose a lot of things in my life. And I think how we react to those negative things really make us up as a character. But in the same sense, you have to be able to embrace yourself first. Because if you can't do that, you can never maximize your happiness. Now. You'll never maximize your success. You'll never fully become a true leader. And you'll never, you know, really be able to maximize your fulfillment of, of helping, inspiring others either. So you're completely limiting your max potential if you can't just accept you. So I did. So this coach made the nub and here I was, I went back in eighth grade to PMS and, and I just started nubbing everybody. I had no chill, no care in the world. And, and people started to respect me on the basketball court. So that's how my basketball journey was, was created. And, I, and uh, you know, furthermore, man, I, I really believe that a lot of us in life uh, live in comfort zones and you don't grow in comfort zones. And, and, and people like you and I, um, maybe having tougher upbringings or disabilities or whatnot, I think that we're completely at an advantage. And I know this sounds a little psychotic here, but I feel like we're, we, we don't get to live in a comfort zone because we're so uncomfortable all the time. So our progression and our growth it is so much faster than everybody else's because of course, dude, we're in survival mode. That's why some of the best athletes in the world, uh, you know, come from nothing, come from poor circumstances because they don't have those, those blessings or those privileges that some are born into. So you're born outside of your comfort zone. You live outside of your comfort zone. I'm growing faster than everybody else. I'm changing that. I'm getting better than you uh, because I have to. It's not even because I want to. It's not even like my mentality. It's just I'm surviving while you are in your comfort zone, I went from not making that team to being the MVP throughout high school and ranked. That is, that is the difference of change, habitual work ethic, and really living outside that comfort zone and believing in, you know, yourself. Man, that's powerful. And I, I love I mean, so much what you said. I love, you know, just being, a. I agree. You know, we were kind of forced out of that comfort zone, just growing up from day one, right? We have no choice. And, and so uh, it definitely is something that I believe has helped me just to excel quicker and just to be stronger mentally. And, um, you know, I think in a way that has been a blessing, you know, because there, there are those things that are, they're the, they're the visible challenges, right? But then there are also those hidden challenges. So there's a, you want to call them hidden disabilities or whatever, you know, the things that people can't see. And so I think in a way we definitely were fortunate because, you know, it kicked us out of that zone, right? Like, no, you're, you're out and you're staying there. You're not coming back. And I think that's something that people, you know, who maybe have those hidden challenges, those hidden disabilities, they have to 
you know, they look, they have to look at people like you and I uh, and say, hey, you know what, this is what's possible when you are willing to step outside of your comfort zone, right? When you are willing to stop caring what other people think, when you are willing to embrace your uniqueness and build on those things. And I really like what you said about turning the weakness into a strength, you know, and, and, and especially, I mean, after that seventh grade coach just said, you know, this is a two-handed sport. I mean, you could have just walked away and said, yeah, he's right. You know, this is my coach. I'm listening to him. I'm done. But you didn't, you know, you kept moving. And then one person's act of kindness, you know, just taking an interest in you changed your world. And showed, to show you is like, hey, you know what, make this your own, you know, make this your own thing. And, and that's one thing, man, looking back on wrestling, it's like, when you look at wrestlers, it's like, there, there's so many different types, right? Because there's like 10 weight classes. So some are short, some are tall, some are stocky, all those big legs, big arms, whatever. But it's like, it's all about embracing that uniqueness. You know, and we have to remember that in life, embrace that uniqueness, figure out, okay, what are my strengths? And, and you have to be real with yourself, right? It's like, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Can I turn these weaknesses into strengths? If I can't, how can I compensate? It's never, okay, you know, I can't do it, just give up, walk away, throw it off the table. It's like, okay, you know what? Let's figure out a different plan. Let's strategize, right? Yeah, no, you, you're completely right. And I have such a newfound respect, Anthony, too, for the, for the sport of wrestling, uh, Something you don't know. I'm in pre-production of a of a show that I'm creating off of this wow. brain's uh, philosophy that you know it took three million years for our brain to evolve, and everybody ha is equipped with the ability to master anything as long as you're passionate about it. So using uh, you know his philosophy, we're creating this show that is almost like master class. Uh, we're we're as the host and creator, I'm taking on a mastery. And I'm going to do the work ethic of some of the best in the world. And I'm going to be mentored in that way. And then I'm going to try to perform it, win or lose. So for the last four months, uh, I have been training for, I mean, and I'm such an idiot for taking this on as my pilot episode, but in a pro MMA fight. And I've lost 22 pounds to meet weight class at 265. Uh, uh, Uriah Faber is my master for the episode. He's a good friend of mine, Hall of Fame. UFC fighter, I have Cody Garbrandt, I have nice. Alpha Male backing me, I have, you know, a kickboxing world champ and a jiu-jitsu world champ, and what I realized is, like, I was supposed to take on one mastery, and I'm diving into <laughs> kickboxing, boxing, wrestling, this is this is not what I signed up for, but man, it, 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 it the wrestling has always been something I've been interested in, but not a, like, a, a complimentary sport to basketball, because they're both winter sports, so you can't really do them both, uh, but, but I will tell you, man, like, so much respect for everything that you have been able to accomplish and to be able to embrace things in, in that art. Like I'm, I'm learning that my height has been so significantly uh, a huge advantage in basketball and in, you know, in jujitsu and in wrestling, it's such a disadvantage because of that length. And so it's mm -hmm. figuring out ways to, you know, look at your weaknesses and, and, and work on them to be able to, you know, elevate them into some sort of, of you know, strength or, or, you know, create a mentality of that confidence. And I think that's just work ethic. I think that's habitual. It takes 21 days for the average, you know, um, human to be able to, to create a new habit. I'm a strong believer in that. In my freshman year, the same coach that taught me about this nub, he came up to me my freshman year of high school. Listen to this, it's crazy. He's such a hard ass coach. He's, he's a jerk. I love him so much, man. He, he really pushed me to be better. So he said, Kevin, I, I know you want to go D1 in basketball. I know you want to make it. Um, I know you want to go play pro. It's never going to happen. Hmm. He said that 
0.03% high school basketball players. It's the second most popular sport in the world is soccer. Three out of every 10,000 basketball players in the U.S. get D1 scholarship. No one's ever done that with a disability. It ain't going to happen for you because I know what you do when you go home from school because I talk to your mom. You go home from school, you, you watch Netflix, you need a snack. Then you come to practice, work hard like everybody's in the country is not going to practice and working hard. You go home, shower, eat dinner, procrastinate for homework. Sometimes you don't do it. You wake up the next day and do the same damn thing. Your routine is out of whack. Legends are made behind closed doors. You're not one of them. Walk away. What are you doing, Anthony? I want to call my eyes crying because in my crappy life, where I was an outcast, where I was somebody that people didn't really treat well, all of a sudden started to embrace it. And I started to embrace myself. That was all crumbling because all I had in my crappy life was basketball. So just like you, your freshman year in high school, for me, that mentality became, okay, well, my life sucks. And so I need to put out a little bit more work. We all have 24 hours in a day. How are you using yours? So I defined my weaknesses. And that's, that's the same mentality I'm bringing into this MMA deal. But it, I wasn't very strong. Um, coaches didn't know how to work me out in a weight room because I had one arm. They literally put me home while the rest of the team worked out, which hmm. wasn't going to help me any. Um, at the time, I liked it because I was all tired from conditioning. He's like, yeah, I go home really, yay. But then I realized, like, I'm not getting better. Um, I wasn't strong. My nub, I mean, it needed it needed more strength. I needed to figure out upper body strength to be able to box out and rebound. I wasn't fast. I had such severe uh, asthma. My endurance was crap. I, I ended up in an ambulance from a, an asthma attack in the eighth grade. Really? Like, my endurance was terrible, man. And so I, I wrote all my weaknesses on a piece of paper and I figured out solutions. And I'm a strong believer that, you know, complainers, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on your podcast here. Can I, can I say one word? Go for it, man. Jeez. Oh, big man, big complain. And they're so close. They're so close to being leaders because leaders and complainers are the same. They're both expert problem identifiers. Leaders and complainers can identify problems better than anybody. But the thing is, is that leaders go an extra step and they figure out suggested solutions and resolutions. So everybody wants something in this planet. I've never met a person without a what. The how, that is how you obtain things. And so what is your house? So for me, I wanted to play basketball. This is how, this is my new mentality. I'm going to approach that. It takes 21 days to make a habit. First thing I did, I got a duffel bag suitcase, put it in my backyard, uh, put bricks in it. I wasn't using the suitcase. We weren't traveling, didn't have a lot of money. I put the straps on my arm and I started lifting this duffel bag a hundred times when I went home from school. So instead of Netflix, before I walked inside every day from school, I dropped my backpack off, lifted that bag of bricks a hundred times. As I got stronger, added more bricks. And, and, and what happened is over like a course of a month, I didn't even think, know I was doing it. It was just, it was habitual. So I, I went back and started lifting those bricks and I didn't even think about it. It became like blinking sudden my muscles so strong my arms so strong you can't even pull it down it's so powerful i started running to, to solve that i started running two miles every morning with my neighbor down the street we, we woke up before school every day at 5 a.m i put hard-boiled eggs on the burner we ran two miles i came back ate the eggs showered went to school that was my routine before school every day does two miles sound like a lot to run before school because it's 20 minutes if you're slow and that's like a third of an episode of Netflix. I mean, that concept of two miles a day, Monday through Friday, 10 or, you know, two miles a day, 10 miles a week, 40 miles a month, that, that stacks up. And I didn't know you could grow out of asthma, but all of a sudden my endurance was so great. I never had to come off the basketball court. I was so strong, little guys who could keep up with me. You guys couldn't keep up with me anymore. I ran like a gazelle. I just nubbed those little guys anyway, because my nub got so strong. And all of a sudden, just by 
by being identified from this coach as somebody who wasn't going to make it triggered me. And he knew it would because he knew my personality because I was stubborn, triggered me in a way to make massive action, to take that action massively and create these habits and outwork everybody. And so each habit, every 21 days, I stacked a new habit. And then all of a sudden, I'm replacing bad habits with good habits. And my routine is becoming healthy in the way that I'm growing. And, and this all started because one, I had a mentor who was kind and caring. And two, because I let go of my ego. Your ego is armor protecting your insecurities. And what your ego is doing is preventing you from growing. You can humble yourself when people give you constructive criticism. You can humble yourself and really hear it and then take action to get better. Oh my gosh, you will, you will grow so much faster than anyone else. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode. Before we get back to it, I'd like to take a moment to recognize our sponsor. I believe there's an unstoppable spirit in us all, but sometimes that unstoppable spirit should be stopped at the door. That's why I've partnered with Safe Streets to help stop would-be intruders and porch pirates from ruining your day. Right now, Unstoppable listeners can get a free doorbell camera and $100 Visa gift card with new system activation and installation. Let Safe Streets help protect what you value most. Reserve your free doorbell and $100 Visa gift card today. Call 844-980-SAFE or visit safestreets.com slash unstoppable. It takes a lot of courage to let go of your ego and then take action. But that's, that's what I did. And the difference between me athletically is that, you know, I got a full ride. I, you know, went over and played in Asia. I went and accomplished my goals and dreams because even though I didn't start playing basketball until I was 13, all of a sudden, even with one arm and a two-arm sport, I became the first. I opened up the doors for other one-arm kids across the world, one-legged kid, whoever wants to play basketball. It's no longer a, a you know, two-feet, two-handed sport. That is powerful. That's crazy. But I also put that mentality into academics. I couldn't pass a grade till seventh grade. I was so stupid. Every teacher wanted to hold me back. But I graduated high school with a 3.17 GPA because I started a habitual process to take my academics seriously. I went to military school, first in class, went to college three years. I graduated 40 credits a year on a D1 athletic scholarship. I graduated in three years as an honor student in the Pen and Sword Honor Society at my college. First athlete to ever do that. And it didn't matter that I had one hand, first, first athlete to ever do that. Not the sharpest tool in the shed, but this became my new mentality. And I was challenged by a man, and I took that stubbornness, let go of my ego, and started habits. And I just worked for it. And that's all it was. Everyone had the same quantity of time I did, and they had a hand more. So I couldn't clap, and so I made them all clap. And that's, that was my goal. <laughs> man. That's so powerful, Kevin, man. Thank you so much for sharing. You got me fired up right now, bro, because everything you just said, I mean, that's that's the description of a champion right there. You know, that's the description of a champion because the champions, they don't, they don't you know, go through life or go through their sport uh, looking for ways to avoid their setbacks, to avoid their weaknesses, avoid the obstacles. They ask themselves that question that you did, right? How? How am I going to get this done? And then, like you said, just developing that process, the routine, and putting in the work, putting in that that the time, paying the price. I think that's so overlooked in life, right? It's paying that price. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to do the bare minimum. I'm going to do what everybody else is doing. I'm going to do what's expected of me, and that's going to get me to the end. You know, that's going to doing doing average is going to make me great. When what you just described is like, no, you know, you have to do above average. You have to do everything that you can. Pay that ultimate price to get the ultimate dream. 
And man, if, if people listen to that, what you just said, I mean, that's the roadmap for being successful in anything in life. You know, I mean, thank you for sharing, man. That was powerful. Dude, it it's, can be an enjoyable process too. Uh, it's it's something that you just really need to open your your mind up to to rewiring like what your actual wants and needs are. Like, what do you actually want to acquire out of life? Like figure out your what and then really put into action a how. And really like what sacrifice are you making 20 minutes a day? Like like what what is it going to take for you to get to that that end goal, that place and, and continue to push yourself and, and the process is something you can really enjoy and fall in love with. You have to fall in love with this process because if you do, like you will be so fulfilled and happy along with successful. Success isn't like an end-all be-all. This equation absolutely will make you successful. But, but your happiness, your mental health, your fulfillment, these are all things uh, that, that come hand in hand to it if you do it the right way. So I think a lot of people just hold on to these, these mental stressors and these anxieties and these different things that are either helping them cope with procrastination or helping them cope, uh, you know, to some negative uncertainties that they have or insecurities in life. And if you can just like sit back and be self-aware, you don't even have to share this with anyone. Just be honest with yourself about your insecurities, about your fears, about these weaknesses in your life. And then just positively, like, just positively figure out one little step in the right direction and get started. Because it's that simple. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be loved. You deserve to spread that joy. And in a negative world with a lot of negativity flowing, positivity is just as infectious. You've said it twice now, Anthony. You've said be kind. Kindness, empathy, love, those are the things that need to be just common character traits. I've spoken to probably about 900 colleges and high schools in the last 10 years, which is pretty ridiculous now. Um, but I, I set out on a goal to kind of reface and and, and change what it, it meant to be in the American youth because I remember really hating high school because I was in a you know a community of of really wealthy kids and I wasn't and uh, you know the, the judgment and the meanness and if anything it's gotten worse uh, anxiety suicide rates depression it's it's insane and what I've really learned is that there is this national mentality or this national uh, way of living that is me myself and I based it's very um, narcissistic, if you will, like my goals, my dreams, my stats and sports, how many followers follow me in social media, what college I'm going to. Uh, in, in, in for a second, if you just slow down and you just, you know, realize that you, you might not be a happy person, person because you're just living for you. It's really hard to root for a guy who's only rooting for themselves. And instead of zoning out and fantasizing about you so much, it's like just kind of observe the room and see how you can put a smile on somebody's face. If it takes 21 days to make a habit, you can also use this to essentially say two kind things to two nice people every day. 21 days later, you won't realize you're doing it. It's like blinking. And that is something that I've locked in a long time ago. It's like blinking. That kindness is like blinking. Uh, you know, I guess the best example I have, I was getting off a plane. I average about 170 planes a year. It's so stupid, man. I can't do it. I mean, you know, Anthony, like planes are the only, I shouldn't say it's a bad joke, but I envy you on planes. A lot shorter and you got <laughs> more space for leg room. I'm just going to. I, I love it, man. I, mean, <laughs> I, I love I'm it. Not, I, people like sit next to me for the armrest, but man, I'll take that leg room that you got any day. Um, <laughs> for me, man, I, I was sitting in, in a plane once. I was first class in this little little plane uh, with two, two-seater first class, right? And this lady next to me, uh, you know, it was pretty quiet, the whole flight, and we weren't talking. And when I was walking off the plane, like, 
I just said, hey, you know what? I really love your scarf. And I didn't realize it was just this colorful scarf. And I didn't think much of it. And, you know, I, I thought like most of the time I do this in places like airports or grocery stores, people like look at me like I'm a seven foot tall, one arm giant, like get away from me, you freak. <laughs> like, not used to people just being kind. Um, and she looked at me and this, this lady uh, started crying. And I was like, yo, your, I mean, your scarf's not that nice, but like what was that? <laughs> And, and she she just sat there and she looked at me and she started crying. And she said, I've had the worst day of my life. My best friend just passed away. And her husband was, you know, in the armed forces and he was having this, you know, uh, these mental issues coming back from Iraq. And uh, he snapped. We're, we're, we're sneaking her and the kids out of the house. She felt unsafe. And, you know, he, he, had fa- he just found out somehow. And he, he killed all three of them and, and then himself. Just a late. And I'm going to like arrange the funeral. And I just really needed to hear that. And I sat there and hugged this stranger for maybe five minutes and she just cried over my chest. But her gratitude was off the scales. And she just needed that so bad. And I know that takes like a mass quantity of empathy just to just want to connect with you know strangers that you may never see again but that's what it means to really just be human like a person-to-person level i mean gary v talks about empathy being that superpower i really think it's the cornerstone to, to being happy because it, it really helps in, in a gratifying way gratitude's that that pillar of happiness right well, well, empathy is very much involved with happiness. Empathy is involved with success. If you're a businessman out there and you don't understand your clientele, if you can't feel what they feel, how are you supposed to be able to engage them at your fullest ability or potential? Empathy is huge for business. Be a leader, most of all. I mean, if you can't empathize with you know, your, the people following you, then how are you supposed to lead them? George Washington, founding father of our country, didn't eat until his last soldier ate because he didn't want to bring them into battles that they didn't have energy to fight. That is using empathy at a military tactic. That is brilliant. That, that's real leadership. So if you can't empathize with others. You are in danger of, of not really making a huge impact on this planet. And if you can't just be kind and positive, then you really need to slow down in life and work on yourself. You really need to look inwards and say, well, not. why don't I care? Why don't I take the time? Why can't I make two habits today with two random people? Why can't I call someone and just say, I'm so grateful you're in your life, they're in your life? Because in this negative world, especially during COVID, people will flock to you as positive energy. People are attracted to that. And that vibration, that power, it's healing. 77% better chance for optimists not to have cardiovascular problems or cardiovascular problems, heart condition problems, people that are pessimistic. People that are happy live statistically seven to 10 years longer than people that aren't. And if you're not happy and you're not spreading happiness, you're really missing the boat here. It's just, I think that's not even subjective. Let me just put my nub down on that. That is a fact. (laughs) That is a fact. And Kevin, I love it. Well said. And, and you're right. You know, it's, it's, that's the goal. That should be everyone's goal. Number one, you know, spread that happiness because it, it's, it's contagious. You know, uh, you touch one person's life. It's like, man, they, it just changes the world, changes their day. And, and, and they never forget those little things, you know, you just give them enough energy. 
to, to survive whatever they're dealing with, whatever challenge that we might not know that they have to wrestle that day. You give them that energy just to fight a little bit longer, a little bit harder. And I mean, if, it's, if more people would take that approach, you know, to what you just said, I mean, I can't imagine where we would be today. You know, I mean, what, what's the difference, man, between a positive and negative person in your eyes? What's that difference? What's that defining factor that you can identify with? Because I, I mean, it just, I, I wasn't always like an optimist. I was a pessimist the majority of my life. I had a lot of external issues going on that I didn't really understand. And mm-hmm. you know, I had a lot of questions and it was hard. I had a lot of hardships, but I became an optimist. And, and what do you think for, you know, maybe for you or somebody, you know, like what, what's a defining characteristic or, or a transition that people can really take to, to kind of make that transfer because it can grow your life in such a positive way, your business in a way you can, you can grow everything you're trying to grow and be happier doing it too. So why do people choose not to? Mm-hmm. Man, I'd say for me, it's just taking that moment to evaluate, you know, I mean, I think, uh, just to relate it back to like sports, you know, for wrestling, it's like, we didn't have timeouts really, you know, but it's like every time we go out of bounds, right. Breath blows a whistle. We get a second to walk back. That's when you hear your coach's instruction, like correct this, change this, do this instead. You know, it's that moment, right. It's the moment to reevaluate the situation, to reevaluate how you process the situation, what you're going to do next. And so I'd say, you know, that that's a, that's a great way to go from being a pessimist to an optimist. It's like, okay, you're in this situation and naturally you want to be pessimistic about it, but take a moment. Right. It's like, stop yourself, evaluate, you know, let your, your mind really just digest the situation. Say, okay, you know what, how can I take a, a more positive approach to what I'm dealing with right now, or this situation, or what can I do to make this, uh, turn this from a negative to a positive. And like you said, it's, it's, it's something that it's got to be developed, right? It, it becomes a habit of really being conscientious of forcing yourself to think that way. Uh, and it's tough. I mean, every situation is different, but I mean, that's kind of something that helps me. It's like, I, I find myself in a negative situation, a stressful situation. I try to take a moment like, okay, you know, pause, take a deep breath. How can I use this for my betterment? You know, what are the positives here? What are the things that I can use to, you know, to, to be successful here? And I mean, it just, it, over time, it just becomes natural to you. You know, it's where my, your, your mind stops like, oh, no, we're not going down that way. You know, let, let's let's sure. think positive here. Let's let's think in an optimistic way. What can I do here? And it's it's a learned thing, you know, but it's yeah. uh, it takes action. Like you said earlier. Right. It takes action. It's something you have to be conscientious about and really make an effort to do. But over time, For it sure. does. Yeah, I think it affects everyone you're around, too. I mean, mm-hmm. a, I think you owe it not only to yourself, but the people you surround yourself with. I mean, you are a champion. You are somebody that's, you know, served on the board of fitness for the white house and i heard dwayne johnson you trying to make a move or something i mean you're kicking butt bro um, thank you so you, you 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 are an infectious personality and you are a champion and you took you know one leg and and, and it didn't matter and you became uh, a, a superhero and such an idol to so many people uh in in so many ways uh i i would say that you are living breathing proof that this this works i mean if you just i love how you said it just pause for a second and just kind of redirect how you're going to approach things. I think that is, um, you know, really just the way to, to, to live. Uh, my, my father, man, I've never actually shared this story on any stage I've ever spoken at. Um, I don't know why I, I've just never, it just doesn't feel really like my story to share, but because we're on the topic uh, at, a, at his funeral, right? I'm 10 years old. And this, I think that this, uh, really changed my perspective in a, in a sense and, and changed how I wanted to redirect my focus in life a little bit at such a young age. Like I'll always remember this. 
Um, at, at my father's funeral, it's interesting, you know, when somebody passes away, some of the stories you hear about them, and, and you really like learn more about them. When my dad passed away and his best friend Ken stood up and, and gave like par partial eulogy, and he told this story about when my dad was uh, in his chemo treatment. Uh, Ken took him to the hospital. He drove him to the hospital because you're supposed to ask him to drive you back, right? And so my dad gets in line. Ken sits in the waiting room. And, and my dad's behind this elderly lady um, who goes in before him. And then my dad checks in. He goes inside. And so apparently there's this room on the other side of the waiting room where they're all hooked up on these, like, uh, from my understanding, these drips. Like it's just a bunch of people with cancer sitting in a room, uh, you know, for the chemo treatment. And all of a sudden, like during this, you know, for whatever quantity of time they were in there for, you can hear this big rumble in the other room. It's my dad's voice. He has this very powerful voice. And then it's the lady's voice. And they start to scale their volume. You can't make out what they're saying, but it gets louder and louder and louder and louder. And it sounds like they're yelling at each other. And then all of a sudden, this old lady comes out and she's like super pissed off. And everybody in the waiting room could like hear this like escalate. And she went up to the front desk and the lady's like, oh, how's your treatment? And she's like, it was fine. And, and she's like, when can I, we schedule you next? And she's like, I don't care. Just don't schedule me with that big tall guy. I can't take him. And the lady at the front desk was like, what do you do? And she's like, no, he just goes in there and he's just so positive all the time. And we're all there dying. What's there to be positive about? And so she walks out. And then my dad sometime later comes out and he goes to the front desk. And uh, the lady asks, how's his treatment? He's like, it was great. And she says, uh, when can I schedule you next? And he says, can you schedule me whenever you scheduled that lady that came out before me? And the lady starts laughing. And she's like, absolutely, I can do that. And Ken starts laughing. And everybody that was in the waiting room who kind of heard it, like the old lady walk out and just say that, just started busting up dying. And he walks out and gets in the car with Ken. And he's like, why are you all laughing at me? And Ken's like, that old lady came out and said she didn't want to be in the with you because you were too positive. And my dad's reaction was, we were all dying from cancer. What else is there to be negative about? And that's just like, a concept of two different characters, like just in the same exact situation, really identifying on two different perspectives of a, you know, of a negative situation. Mm -hmm. Like your reaction to things out of your control really define how you're going to, you know, balance your levels of anxiety and balance your happiness and release these healings endorphins in your body of, of just these, these, this relaxing and loving and kind state. So I really think during COVID, a lot of people uh, are, are either figuring this out or they're missing the boat too. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm a bit of an unshakable optimist, Anthony. I've grown into this guy who's almost deliriously optimistic about life. And I can take anything and make it like a coal and a diamond in that format just because I've trained my brain so well to do this. Because why not, right? So it's like COVID is a terrible thing that shut down the world, kind of hurt our economy, increased our national deficit. It's killed, I mean... I guess 500,000 people in, in our country alone. Uh, it, it's isolated people. It's increased depression, unemployment rates. Uh, the negatives are all there, but if you are, can take something negative and make it positive, then you are gonna have a really cool life. It's almost like winning the matrix. Hmm. So I, 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 not a popular opinion, Anthony, but 2020 was the best year of my life. Hmm. And this is stemming from my dad's, you know, personality and, and how we approach things and then the lessons and wisdom I learned along the way I took 2020 by far bar none the best year of my life
And, and, and it was just my approach on how I viewed COVID. Uh, you know, Bill Gates has been saying it forever. We're not equipped with the ability to fight an infectious disease. And honestly, if COVID is the quiz, we're more prepared for the test. I would say that our country, at least worldwide, I would say we failed. Uh, we're not equipped. And, uh, you know, believe it or not, Bill Gates was right. Who would have ever guessed, right? Like, don't look at that guy. Um, so so we, we, we kind of lost in that way. But, you know, in a hypothetical world, if, if COVID, the same disease or a, in a more evolved version of it, was just as infectious and spread with, you know, asymptomatics and, uh, you know, really had that ability to spread, but was more powerful like SARS, right? Or, or had a, a, a much higher fatality rate, that a disease like that could wipe out humanity. Mm-hmm. Maybe that wasn't COVID, but man, it sure the hell prepared the world at a, at a you know worldwide front for an epidemic for us to understand how we can approach something like that. So, you know, I, I can go as far as say COVID might have saved humanity from extinction, from a disease around the corner. And I know that's a stretch, but let's look at it more personal. I had a son like this past year, I have a nine month old baby. He's like a mega, the world's biggest baby, cutest guy in the world. I live off of airplanes and I go all over the world, different countries for work. And I got to sit here and spend time with my wife and my son. And I got to get back in shape. And I got to work on goals and dreams that I've been setting off because I've always been too busy. And I've got to, uh, you know, work in the stock market. I've been a real estate guy for a long time. I love real estate. And, and I really looked at, you know, the market is an opportunity to buy in on discounted stocks. And I, you know, read so much of Warren Buffett's philosophy and uh, his approach to the market. And I've made a ton of money, like financially, I've just really just altered my way of, of doing things and, and really redefined, again, recentered my mentality and my, my mental health and, uh, you know, started meditating and, and starting to adding in a lot more of these habits over the last year. So what I've done is I've took a negative situation and a hard thing that was out of my control. And I didn't put all my focus onto the thing out of my control. I put the focus onto what was in my control. And I think that focus is your biggest asset as far as your arsenal to approach anything like. Where are you spending your focus? Is your brain wandering? What are you focusing on? If you're focusing on negative things all the time, you're gonna be depressed. If you watch Titanic, where freaking Jack or you know dies at the end of the movie, you just rewind that and play that in your head a million times. You're gonna be depressed. So why are you focusing on things that you can't control? Why are you focusing on you know the negatives in life? Why aren't you refocusing and redirecting your thought process? Things in your control, things that you can fix, things that you can't just complain about and go on with your day. The things that are in your control to make a difference with. And I think that that'll help you as a human. Any listener out there. I think that'll really help you become the elevated version of yourself. That, that's the absolute level up for anybody. It's absolutely level up. And there's no end to that leveling up. If you, if you uh, take that approach, there's not enough time in, in a human's life to be able to level up to your full potential. You're only limited by, by the age in which you can live because you will constantly always level up. You will never really decline. And that's all starts with that focus. Man, I love that, Kevin. Focus on what you can control in life, man. That, that's so powerful. And I could talk to you all day, you know, and just for your, your words of advice, man. It, it's just so awesome. I, I can't thank you enough for just taking the time because it sounds like you're just extremely busy and blessed, you know, with family, with, with things that you've got going on. So thank you, man, for, 
for taking the time just to share some of your wisdom and your advice, because I, I know it's, it's going to change some people's lives out there, you know, and that's Absolutely. much needed these days, man. And, uh, you know, before I let you go, bro, I, I have what I like to call the short time questions. It's a three more yeah. questions, man. And you just fire off first answer that comes to mind. Is that cool with you? Sure. Love that. All right, brother. Here we go. First question. What's your favorite motivational book and or movie? Ooh, man, my favorite motivational movie um, and or book, I would say, I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you. You know what? Shameless plug. I came out with a book this year, this past year, Get in the Game by Kevin Atlas. You can find it in Amazon. I had a Hachette as my publication company and came out with a book in February of last year, the week before COVID started. Do you know, Anthony, how long it takes a one-armed guy to type a hundred pages? I mean, that sucked. Making that book up here on tour got canceled and the whole thing fell on itself. Uh, but I think, uh, uh, you know, I think that um, that your book, Unstoppable, is, is by far the best autobiography I've ever read. Don't tell that to Jim Abbott. Don't tell that to any of my friends. <laughs> Vin Baker, there's a lot of great books out there, but yours was especially just, I, I got to say, man, it was brilliantly written. It was so good and so inspiring so i'm not just stroking your ego if i was on a different podcast i was, gotta check it anthony robles out um as far as movie goes oh, that's a that's a tough one um you know i i guess between wolf of wall street and uh and interstellar you know, just a big thinker and you know just of the expansion of what we can become and then also just uh the funniness of Wolf Wall Street. I know it's not really an inspirational movie, but uh, I, I really just kind of like the, uh, the concept on you know what you can do if you just take your own life under control. Uh, so I see a little value in, in watching that as an entrepreneur. Oh, nice, man. Kevin, thank you so much for your kind words about my book, man. I'm honored. And I'll be ordering your book today. Amazon, right? No, dude, I'll send you a copy. I'll sign a copy. Oh, that'd be amazing, bro. Thank you. I can't wait Absolutely. to read it. Absolutely. <laughs> Next question, man. Favorite motivational quote? A fool learns from his own mistakes. A wise man learns from others. I like it. Final question, Kevin. What does unstoppable mean to you? I think it's the uh, ability to, to fail and never lose enthusiasm. Uh, and I think that's a key trait of success is that just collect your failures. Like you can fail twice a day, every freaking day for 10 years. And that's so awesome because you're you just those are those failures are badges you should wear very very proudly and not get discouraged because if you can continue to fail and not get discouraged that persistence is eventually going to evolve you into that success i think that's unstoppable so you can stop me a million times but you can't stop me it doesn't matter and and, and that's what that means to me great answer man and kevin where can people go to just keep track of you and support what you're doing and and just keep eyes on you I have a website at kevinatlas.com, uh, Instagram, Captain Hook for Life. It was an available, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got a, you know, book, Get in the Game. And then on Hulu, we have The Long Shot. I made a documentary on me for you know, about seven years. That was uh, nominated for Academy Award, My Journey Through Basketball. Um, uh, then watch out for a couple pretty cool projects, whatever it takes, and um, speak your truth, some stuff. I've collaborated with Mark Wahlberg's uh, company, Leverage On. We've been working on pretty silently for quite some time. Um, and lastly, I have the Believe in You series at believeinyou.com. And it's a series that currently has three seasons where I'm the creator and uh, host. 
I've collaborated with Varsity Brands, this $4 billion company, back this show to give to free to you um, and any anyone out there who wants to elevate their life. We produce these 15-minute long episodes on some incredible individuals, um, and it is aired uh, at a national level to colleges and high schools with curriculum-based exercises. Uh, so it's it's very informative. And Anthony, uh, you know, once we start that back up, we've been slowed down due to COVID, but for season four, I'm going to insist that I, I come out and have you on it. Oh, bro, I'm there. Just let me know when and I'll be there. It'll be an honor. My man, I really, <laughs> and I was out in Arizona. We had uh, Allison Schmidt on it, uh, the, the Olympian winner, great yeah. friend Phelps. So we were, we were hanging out. She's been a friend for a long time. And, and her episode specifically was mental health and wellness. So the episode has a, a, a little bit of a different theme. Yours obviously will be unstoppable because it's the, 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 best human on the planet, maybe in existence <laughs> to define that. Um, Allison's episode specifically has really helped so many. It's saved lives. Uh, she had some mental uh, health and wellness issues. And Michael Phelps really took her under her wing because, or his wing, because uh, he suffered from it too. And, and, and it, you know, the, the finding factor of that episode, it's okay not to be okay. And it's okay to get help. And that's really encouraged a lot of the American youth really work on their mental health and wellness so it's it's a really cool program at believingyou.com i'd highly encourage you guys to check it out yeah i'll definitely be checking that out myself man sounds like you're a part of some great things and kevin just keep up the great work man and let's keep in touch it's been a pleasure just catching up with you uh, for about an hour here man so thank you again i appreciate you brother sorry for my long rants but man it's not every day i get to see your beautiful face so hey, hey bro like i said i could talk to you all day <laughs> man i wish you were, we live closer together we could hang out more I'm back in the West. I'm back West. So we'll, we'll, we'll do it, man. Arizona's not too far. Uh, We'll we'll plan something, Kevin. Well, again, you you take care, man, and stay blessed out there. Sounds good, man. Good catching up. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, man. Thank you. Kevin had so many awesome things to share. I loved how he said that despite there being billions of people on this planet, there's only one of us. We truly are a piece of art. And it's important to constantly remind ourselves of this because in the end, our opinion is the only one that's going to make or break us. Self-acceptance is the key. We can sit around wishing for things we'll never get and telling ourselves if only we were this or that, things would be better. Or we can remember what Kevin said, embrace ourselves and our situation and do the best with what we have. That's all for today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's episode is brought to you by Safe Streets, the leader in smart home security and automation, and America's only ADT authorized provider. Safe Streets will help protect what you value most. To talk to an expert and get a free quote today, call 844-980-SAFE. That's 844-980-7233. The Unstoppable Podcast is a production of Anthony Robles Enterprises, LLC, in partnership with a really good home podcast. I'd like to thank my editor, Laura Batista, producer Katie Pulatunoff, and my senior producer, Andy Frazier. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a great day, and remember, be unstoppable.